The Sunday Review with Tim Graham. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of The Sunday Review. We'll be hearing about the dangers of meter tampering and how it's on the increase as energy prices soar. As part of Loneliness Awareness Week, we'll be hearing more about the Every Mind Matters campaign. Dr Zoe Williams is here to tell us that getting summer ready isn't all about our looks and we'll be finding out about a summer fair at St Peter's Catholic Primary School. Jago Bailey will be talking climate change with University of Sussex student Chloe Bester and Paul Tolmy will be finding out more about Age UK East Grinstead and District as well as a Joni Mitchell tribute act heading to the Chequermead later this month. All coming up in this edition. The practice of tampering with gas and electricity meters is on the increase. New research from Direct Line suggests that just over 40% of electricians and gas engineers have been asked by customers to tamper with meters, and almost a third have seen signs of meter tampering in clients' homes. As well as being illegal, the practice can be extremely dangerous. To tell us more, I'm joined by David Powell, an electrical installation safety engineer at Electrical Safety First, and Alison Tribulsi, product manager at Direct Line Business Insurance. David, if I can start with you, what was your reaction to the findings of this research? My reaction is is literally, pardon the pun, shocking. Um, this is something that no one should ever be uh, subject to or contractors shouldn't be approached by the clients to tamper with the meters. It's something extremely dangerous. It's not only illegal, but it could cost you your life. Why do you think more people are resorting to meter tampering? Well, the, the survey by Direct Line Business Insurance highlighted that 43% of electricians were asked by the clients about meter tampering. And those surveyed felt that maybe the increase in uh, electricity costs may be an influence and a factor in the requests of uh, meter tampering. You mentioned how concerning this trend is. What sort of risks does it pose to households and businesses? It's a, it's a huge risk, Tim. Um, we're not just talking uh, electrocution. We're looking at electrical burns and fire. We're actually, by tampering with the meter, we're delaying the response time of the safety devices within your home. So your circuit breakers and your fuses might not work as they normally would. And obviously that's putting people at risk of fire, shock and burns. It could affect neighbouring properties if there is a resultant fire. Um, any, you know, no situation should uh, risk your life or, or break the law. We're looking at fines of up to £30,000 in addition to the health and safety risks. risks. Now, Alison, I gather that there are insurance implications of meter tampering. Can you explain further how deliberate meter tampering can impact insurance coverage? Yeah, certainly. There are um, certain implications for your insurance if your property is damaged um, or, in the worst case, destroyed. Um, and even if someone else is hurt through meter tampering, you won't be covered by your insurance. Um, and this also applies to landlords with tenants who may have slowed down their meters or stopped them completely. And then that make and then if that ends up causing any um, damage to the property itself that they're renting or, or to their neighbors, um, you, the landlords would need to make sure by checking in their um, policy detail to see whether the malicious damage cover is included as standard or whether they need to um, purchase that as an additional piece of cover. 
And what advice would you give to individuals who are perhaps struggling with their energy bills and considering tampering as an option? I think, as David said, it, it's so it's so dangerous in terms of what could happen to an individual themselves or to, or to their property or to neighbouring properties. Um, the fact that it's illegal, it does come with um, fines up to 30,000 or there could be prison sentences as well, that if the if consumers are struggling to pay their increased um, gas or electric bills, then they need to speak to their providers directly to see if they could be put on a particular payment plan, but they definitely should be steering clear of tampering with their meters, wouldn't you say, David? Yeah, exactly. Um, I suppose what Alison said, just speak to your energy supplier. Please don't go down the route of being tempted to tamper with your meter or even asking a, a professional to do it. You know, they're aware of the dangers and it's something that a professional would never do. Um, so, you know, d don't put them in that awkward position and, and ask and don't risk your life by, you know, trying to save a few pounds and pence on your bills. And if somebody's just perhaps moved into a property and is worried that the meter may have been tampered with, what steps can individuals take to ensure their homes and businesses are safe? I mean, there is, Tim, um, obviously visual things people need to look out for as well is if the safety seals have been cut in order to manipulate the cabling within the meters, whether there's any signs of overheating, any exposed copper that could give them an electric shock or electrocute them. If there are any signs of, of this, they could go to www.stayenergysafe.co.uk and they can report um any meter tampering um on that website it's a very straightforward process you can report it anonymously as well and that was what we would suggest people to do but please don't go down the route of um tampering with your meter that's great david allison thank you so much for joining us today thank you tim thanks tim for more information on the implications and dangers of meter tampering visit stayenergysafe.co.uk that's stayenergysafe.co.uk. We'll post a link on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. This week was Loneliness Awareness Week and recent data reveals that on average around 10% of 16 to 34-year-olds often or always feel lonely. As part of the Every Mind Matters campaign, the Department for Culture, Media and Sport has teamed up with presenter and DJ Becca Dudley to raise awareness that anyone can feel lonely at any time, but there are ways we can all help. Julian Fisher has been finding out more. Becca, let's start by telling us a little bit about your experience of loneliness. Yeah, so loneliness is something that I, like a lot of many other people, have grappled with. I really noticed it in 2020 and I just felt like everything was happening all at once. I was living by myself through the pandemic. My closest friend moved to the other side of the world and I was also going through a breakup with the person I felt closest to. And on top of all of that, I was also feeling generally really anxious. I've got like a low key outsider complex as well. So all of those things combined made me feel incredibly lonely. I do feel like I'm in a much better place now, but I do still struggle with loneliness from time to time. And it's really interesting. I feel like when I tell people, they are always surprised just because online I always look super busy and like I'm living my best life. But it's so important to know that loneliness isn't always what we think it looks like. It's not 
just about being physically by yourself. Like you can be at a party surrounded by people. I could be at work backstage or on set and still struggle with it. Do you think many people either feel embarrassed or awkward admitting that they feel lonely? Yeah, I think there's still a lot of stigma around loneliness. It's amazing we're able to talk about mental health a lot more openly in recent years, but I do notice that no one really likes to admit when they feel lonely. There's still so much stigma around it, but it's something that we all experience at some point, and it is growing rapidly amongst young people. So I think we need to be talking about it more. I just think that social media is playing a really big part in it. People always share the highlight reels of their lives, don't they? And it makes you feel like you're the only one feeling lonely. But that's just not true. It's just that people aren't talking about it. So I think if anyone's listening and they're beating themselves up about it and feeling lonely when everyone else is super busy and living life to the fullest, just remember that it does not matter who you are, where you are. Anybody can feel lonely any time and you're not alone in that. Why are you supporting this campaign and, and what do you think it hopes to achieve? I'm supporting DCAMS's Every Mind Matters Loneliness campaign to help people realise that anyone can feel lonely at any time and just understanding that that is okay. I want to support young people by personally opening up about my own experiences with loneliness and just hoping that that will encourage more conversation and connection and I guess ultimately reduce the stigma that is attached to loneliness for young people. And I think that the campaign really reminds young people that many others feel lonely too. And it kind of encourages people to lift someone out of loneliness through really simple actions, which is all the more important during Loneliness Awareness Week. Now, what are the simple things that we can all do if someone we know is feeling lonely or tells us they feel lonely? I think there's a lot of really easy things that we can do. We can reach out to people, send them a quick text, ask people how they're feeling, meet up for a walk, see if they want to grab a cup of tea with you. There's also some really great information for ways to help lift someone out of loneliness on the Every Mind Matters loneliness webpage. So definitely check that out. For more information about the Every Mind Matters campaign, visit nhs.uk forward slash every dash mind dash matters. That's nhs.uk forward slash every dash mind dash matters. We'll post a link on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on Facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. A fifth of us will be prioritising looks over health this summer. According to new research from Activia, many of us think getting summer ready is about looking physically better. But what many of us might not know is that by looking after our gut health, it contributes greatly to how we look and feel. I'm joined now by broadcaster and GP Dr Zoe Williams to tell us more. Dr Zoe, welcome to the show. What does it mean to be summer ready? Well, I think you would get a different answer if you were to ask different people. But some research from Activia found that over half of people actually, when they're asked the question, what is summer ready? Um, they think it's about looking better on the outside. Almost half, 48% said it's about shedding pounds and 18% said it's about booking beauty treatments. So it really does show that people have this general idea that it's about our bodies from the outside and how we look. What Activia wants to do is challenge people on that and get them to consider changing the way they view a summer-ready body and thinking about 
what might happen if you focus on looking after your body from the inside out. So by taking an approach specifically focusing on good gut health, um, that can make you feel better on the inside, make you healthier, improve your mood potentially, give you more energy, support your immune system, but also actually there's a likelihood that it will make you feel better and look better on the outside as well. So it's a win-win approach. What other interesting things did the research unearth? Two in five people, 38% of Brits, place more emphasis on their appearances in the summer than they do any other season, which I guess is not surprising because we go out, we see more people, um, we're more likely to be socialising and also we wear different clothes. And, And one in five people actually said that they prioritise their looks over their overall health, which is perhaps not all that surprising, but a little bit worrying to me as a doctor. The research also showed that some of the side effects people might experience if they're not looking after themselves from the inside. So three in 10 people say they feel fatigued during summer, um, over a third struggle to sleep well, and 28% say that they become easily irritable. Um, And in fact, nearly one in four of us notice that our skin takes a hit when our gut health isn't looked after. So, you know, it really does highlight, I think, the importance of making sure that we do look after our bodies from the inside out over the summer months. Because whilst I think a lot of us tend to perhaps feel better and maybe even healthier in the summer, we are more likely to get dehydrated. It can be more challenging to get enough sleep. And, you know, our eating habits often do change as we're going out you know and enjoying ourselves and doing lovely things like barbecues and 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 staying up with friends and those things are fun and we should definitely do them but it's also important to make sure that we're putting some goodness into our bodies as well so what tips and tricks have you got for us that ensure that we remain healthy this summer there are are lots of different ways to um make changes small changes that can help improve your gut health so when it comes to, to diet, I guess that's the obvious thing, trying to make sure we get enough fiber, making sure we get enough water, enough hydration, but also trying to eat as diverse a range of different plants as we can. We're now advised that actually we should be aiming to consume 30 different species of plants over the course of the week. So that includes fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, whole grains, and things like switching out a tin a tin of kidney beans for a tin of mixed beans, or if you graze on um, nuts, switching out whatever nut you tend to have for mixed nuts, these things can really make a difference. Um, But it's not just about what we eat. Um, Actually, physical activity and moving our bodies is really good for supporting our gut microbiome, as is getting good quality rest and sleep. Um, And and consuming things like probiotics, so that's fermented foods, such as yogurts and some types of cheese and kombucha, these can support good gut health as well. Fantastic. And where can people go to find out more information on some of the topics you've talked about today? Yeah, to find out about how to maintain a good gut health over the summer and get your body summer ready from the inside out, listeners can look at the Activia website and that's at danonactivia.co.uk. That's great. Dr Zoe, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. For more information on getting your gut summer ready, visit danoneactivia.co.uk. That's danoneactivia.co.uk. We'll post a link on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107.
A local primary school is hosting a summer fair at the start of July and needs your help. St Peter's Catholic Primary School are looking for raffle prizes and stall holders to make the event a success. Jordan Taylor is from the school PTA and joins me now to tell us more. Jordan, welcome to the show. So tell us about the summer fair and what it's all in aid of. Hi, yeah, thanks for having me, Tim. So the summer fair, I'm sure all of your listeners will know, is a big fundraising drive for our school and probably most primary schools out there. So we we try and put on um, something that the whole family will enjoy. There's hopefully going to be a bouncy castle, crazy science, um, all the stall holders, and all the things that you'd really expect to see at like a little community summer fair. So hopefully everybody can just come along, have a good time, and raise some really quite needed money for the school in the process. Fantastic. And what difference will the proceeds from the fair make to the school? Our big fundraising goal this year is um, some musical instruments from the school for the school playground. So like most school playgrounds, there's a lot of sort of sports-focused stuff and space to run around. But for the quieter students, there's not so much to get involved in, and that's something that we want to change. So the friends of the PTA, our um, contacts, our student contacts, suggested these musical instruments. So they're outside, they're low maintenance, they're available for all the kids to play with. They don't really feel like running around and playing stuff in the mud or duck, duck, goose. Um, Something a bit quieter and, you know, a bit more hands-on. So that's what we really want to raise money for this year. Now, when it comes to the fair, I gather you're looking for raffle prizes. What sort of things do you want? One of the main attractions of our summer fair is the raffle, which we try and get go all in for. All the classes make up their own hamper, and we try and get as many prizes from perfectly local businesses. So anything from, I think we've got something donating hair, um, you know, bits and bobs from their small business, um, to last year, I actually won a climbing voucher, so I took my kids climbing at the local climbing venue. So really, anything that people can give, we'd be very grateful, because ultimately, the more prizes we have, the more likely people are to buy tickets. And in addition to the raffle, you're inviting stallholders to come and join you at the fair. Are you looking for any vendors in particular? Um, nothing in particular. We just want to have a wide range of um, stallholders so that there'd be something for everyone to enjoy. Really. Like I said, we want it to appeal to all members of our community, not just people with kids in the school, not just um, adults, but grandparents, people who live in the same vicinity, just people in the local area that might want to pop down and see what's happening on a sunny day. So really anything goes. How does it work for the stallholders? Is there any cost involved? Uh, there's a small buy-in. I think it's about 15 or £20. Pounds. And then we prefer, we ask that people provide a raffle donation if they're having a stall as well. So if anyone is interested in either donating a prize or becoming a stall holder, how can they get in contact with you? So you can always get in contact with us through the stall website um, or you can email admin at friendsofstpeters.co.uk. Brilliant. And most importantly, when and where is the summer fair taking place? Our summer fair is the 2nd of July, 12pm to 3pm. And it's at St Peter's Primary School along Chapman Lane. If your listeners are familiar with East Princeton, it's sort of on the west side, off in the Horn Lane. 
So aside from the summer fair, are there any other ways people can get involved at the school? We're always looking for teachers. There's the common misconception that you have to be Catholic to teach at a Catholic primary school, but that's not the case. So if anybody out there is looking to swap schools or is looking for a new job, then please go on the school website and have a look at our vacancies. Excellent. Jordan, thanks so much for joining us and good luck with the fair. Thank you so much. See you there. As a reminder, the summer fair takes place on Sunday the 2nd of July from 12pm until 3pm at St Peter's Catholic Primary School on Chapman's Lane in East Grinstead. For more information, visit stpetersestgrinstead.co.uk. That's stpetersestgrinstead.co.uk. If you'd like to donate a prize or inquire about a stall, you can email admin at friendsofstpeters.co.uk. That's admin at friendsofstpeters.co.uk. We'll post all the details on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. On Tuesday, as part of his mid-morning show, Paul Tolmy found out more about Age UK East Grinstead and District from the charity's newly appointed CEO, Bernie Cox. It is going well, it's exciting, there are lots of different challenges but there are lots of things going on that are really positive. The way it works is uh, we're a branch charity, we're a partner charity, so Age UK National is who gives us their kind of branding and then you'll see there's lots of different Age UK, so yeah, East Grinstead and District is a big one but it basically just means East Grinstead and all the villages around it. So that's Felbridge and Crawley Down. Yeah, um, Turner's Hill. I'm going to put you under pressure and get yeah, you Yeah, try and name them all. <laughs> West Hoveley, all those little places, all those little rural yeah. villages. Yeah. So you've teamed up with the Carlo Lounge. We have, so we're really grateful. The Carlo Lounge approached us to kind of do some shared fundraising. Mm. So for the whole month of June, they are doing lots of different events. They've got quiz nights on Wednesdays at 7pm. They had a bake sale the other day. Uh, we had the mayor come along and the fire brigade popped in and bought some cakes. Um, they've got a children's party on the 18th, I believe. Um, and they've got all these little bits and pieces they're doing and all their fundraising comes directly to us in uh, for the centre in Glen, uh, in Railway Approach at Glenview. Mm -hmm. So it's not going off to some you know big charity and getting lost. It's, it's staying in the community, which is amazing. That's what I love about here is because the, the, it's the integration with communities and, cha and charities and businesses and how they can all work together for the, you know, for the, for the cause of fundraising. Yeah, and I think AGK particularly is really keen to, to make those friendships and those partnerships. But I know what's really nice about East Grinstead is that it's exactly that. All the businesses, all the charities, the town council, everybody knows each other. Everybody's only a phone call away and everybody's always really willing to do whatever they can do, just like yourselves, um, mm. which is why we're here today. And, and that sense of community is really powerful, um, especially when times are so tricky at the moment. They are, and even, even more so. I mean, I think you said this week is Loneliness Awareness Week. Yeah, so this week is Loneliness Awareness Week, which um, our centre particularly focuses around um, the loneliness and isolation that a lot of older people um, suffer, particularly since COVID. So they're not, they perhaps have gotten used to being at home, not so confident, not really wanting to come out, but they are missing that social interaction. Uh, so we work with Age UK, West Sussex, Brighton and Hove. They have an outreach worker who can go out and meet with people and encourage them to come into our centre um, and come to our classes and, and the social events that we've got going on. Mm. Because the isolation aspect of it, I suppose, as you said, people are still not quite ready to, to leave their bubble. They don't want to come out of their, their home environment because they're, they're, still, they're, still, they're still scared. 
Yeah, I agree. And I think um, some people just think COVID's vanished and some people have still got those fears and I think they're valid and, they're, and they haven't, they're not used to getting on the bus anymore. They're not used to mm. coming up um, by themselves, perhaps. Or They've perhaps got so used to what life became that yeah. they've forgotten what it was like before. I agree. And it's just kind of trying to build those, those trusts and those bridges so that we can get people back out in the community and they can see that, you know, their situation may have changed, they may have lost their partner, or but, mm. but those support networks are still there. They can still come and access that. They don't have to be at home in their bubble. No. Um, yeah. Definitely. So what's your um, sort of vision then for the next, now that you're uh, the CEO for the next few months? Oh, that's a good question, isn't it? I would like to keep providing the vital services that we provide for older people. So that's the dementia care and the lounge kind of day centre services. Mm. Those are definitely something we need to protect. Um myself and the trustees are really excited about the charity we really just want to get ourselves out there and support the community currently we still have we do have a lot of clubs that we work with anyway in the community that come and use our center but we want glenview to become a community hub we want people to be able to drop in access services advice services we have gps there we have nhs there we have uh, let's say the art clubs the crochet clubs we really want it to be a place where people can just come um, and just see it as well so we're launching a cafe on the 1st of July and that is going to be sort of centered around affordable meals so you should be able to get something to eat something to drink for five pounds which you know doesn't normally happen <laughs> when mm. you go out to eat and um, but but equally you know we we got the warm home grant from East Quincy Town Council so they gave us a um, thousand pounds towards offering those sorts of services mm. so if you just want to come and have a cup of tea and you don't you haven't got the pennies to do it that's what it's there for we just want we just want people around to to, to mix with our older people um, the more generations we can get in the center I think would be more exciting mm. um, but to do that obviously I have a staff team yeah. of about 11 members of staff but what we do have is volunteers so we have about 32 volunteers and obviously I adore my staff I'm sure they're listening but um, the volunteers are so vital for us if I had to sit down and pay every single one of those volunteers a salary we would go under without them we cannot function and what's amazing about them all is they give up their time for free and some of them have really specific skills like they might be good at art and some of them might just be really caring people that just want to talk and spend time with some of our older people so volunteering is really important to us and I'm very very grateful for the volunteers whom we have at Age UK East Quincy and we're always looking to grow it so it's really easy to get involved to volunteer you can give us a call or you can just wander in people get afraid I think they think oh I, I can't give a Monday every week or I can't give too much um and I always say I'm I don't I honestly will appreciate anything you can give if you can give me an hour fine if you know if you can just be on call sometimes we send our um delivery meals out and divers drop out and we have to a staff run around and get it all in the car you know if you can just be someone that we can call if we have a bit of an emergency um you can always say I'm not available but it's great to have those people as part of our team um it just gives us a better ability to deliver the services that we're trying to deliver for those older people and yeah my volunteers are my biggest asset i would mm. say for sure um as they probably are with any charity and also the, the the loneliness aspect obviously at the moment you know obviously during the winter months it's 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 concerning but almost at the moment with the heat the weather the way that it is and very warm it's almost as important to look out for you know 
the elderly and the vulnerable. That's a really good point, Em, and we do get a lot of weather warnings because act- actually a lot of them might be at home. They're not, and and they're they're perhaps not really thinking about looking after themselves. They're not mm. thinking about having making sure they're taking on enough water, or they're perhaps not well. And yeah, just knocking knocking on the door and checking in with people, making sure they don't need anything. And I think that's something that um, being neighbourly, mm. you can see they're really good at kind of. Um, identifying those people that just need that little extra support but they need help from your neighbours and your friends because you can refer people and say look I know this lady might need a little bit of extra help and you're absolutely right when it's warm and it's hot it's an added risk definitely so Glenview is obviously the main focal point of your uh, of your uh, events but um, what about sort of around the other uh, around the other villages that the area supports so um Previously to me arriving, we didn't have much of an outreach program, and I think that's COVID, because <laughs> mm. there wasn't, you know, people couldn't get out there, my staff couldn't get out there, and we're very much looking to develop that now. So when my community manager, Lana Scott, she'll be going around and trying to pick up the sort of coffee mornings that are out in the community, at the village halls, mm. and trying to attend those and kind of getting some feedback and some consultation on what people want in their villages. Because um, we'd really like to know, if you want us to be able to put on an exercise class, well, let us know we can have a look at that and we can get that out in the community so that our older people that want to still participate but perhaps can't come all the way into East Grinstead we can identify that and, and get that set up in those communities so yeah anybody that's got a group that kind of thinks oh yeah actually we could really do with that um contact the centre I think um we're going to St Swithin's at the end of the month to do a tea talk for them and we'll be doing just sort of letting them know what we do um spreading the word so that people can get involved and I think if you live next to someone that's perhaps a bit older and you think oh do you know what they could really do with that we're happy for people to let us know and then we can reach out to people um because a lot of the time we find it's people don't know we're there and they don't know what we offer is it sometimes as well it could be that they're just too proud to accept help Yes, I think I, I, I've personally taken calls um, from older people who are, are from a generation where they think they have to do it by themselves mm. and they have to, it, it's almost wrong to, to lean on someone yeah. else. And, and I think that's really commendable. Mm. But I think we're facing an environment that we haven't faced before. It, it is very challenging. And I, and I think there's, there's a reason that the support system is there. Um, and we're able to refer people as well to um, the sort of benefits advisors. So people that can really have a look for you and see, you know, the pensions aren't going as far as they should um, and, and they can have a look at your personal situations and say, oh, do you know what, you, you could claim this and actually you'll be okay. I think for me, I always say to the older people, everybody is going to have a time in their life where they need extra help. How much do you think that things like the pandemic and the cost of living crisis have exacerbated the, the, the problem? Massively, yeah. massively. Um, I think if you ha- I think if you just look at it from a, the cost of living, if you, if you haven't got enough money to heat your home and to feed yourself then you don't have enough money to go out and socialize you don't have enough money to see people um and so you're going to stay in your house but then if you stay in your house you've got you're cold or you're not eating or so it's kind of a vicious cycle um and that's where i think you've got in this particular community you've got people like um the the food banks and the the i can't think of the name the cafe that uh, operates from near the hospital Gosh, oh, Paul, the, help me the, out. the community cafe. Yes, people like that. That, 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 that are, you know, people can go and they can access, and they don't need money to do it. They just need to present mm. themselves and say, "Look, I need some help." But you're right. I think that's the hardest part is mm. putting your hand up and saying, "I need a bit of help." But the, the help is there if you, and you know, you and shouldn't feel afraid to take it. No, and I think there's no judgment. Everybody that no. works for a charity or an organisation like that, they do it because they care about their community and they do it because they, they want to help people and they don't want to see people isolated or 
left out or, su- or struggling. And I think you're always going to get, I know certainly from my organization and from the ones I've worked with in New Squinsage, you're always going to get a, a smile and no judgment. So uh, you're at Glenview, so that's where to find you. Yeah, so it's the bottom of railway approach um, near the train station, sort of St. Leonard's Park down mm-hmm. there. Um, and we're open from 9 till 4, Monday to Friday. And we have a Facebook page, we have a website, and we have a telephone number. Uh, so that's 01342-327046. And our staff are really helpful. So if you want to get in touch, even if you're not sure if we're the right place, we're always really helpful in terms of signposting. So we, we quite like to say to people, actually, we can't help you, but someone else can. Bernie Cox talking there to Paul Tolmy about Age UK, East Grinstead and District. If you'd like to get in touch with the charity, visit ageuk.org.uk forward slash East Grinstead. That's ageuk.org.uk forward slash East Grinstead. Or you can give them a call on 01342 327046. That's 01342 327046. We'll post all the details on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on Facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. On Wednesday, Jago Bailey continued his series on the environment. This week, he was chatting to Chloe Bester, a student at the University of Sussex who's studying climate change policy and development. You do a really specialised course. Just give us a bit of an overview of what it's all about. So I'm doing a master's degree in climate change development and policy. And basically what the degree focuses on is that intersection of development so when we're thinking about foreign aid humanitarian projects things like that and the impact of climate change because i think one thing that we've noticed in development is very much that it's being hindered by climate change it's making the existing problems worse it's exacerbating them so it's really just understanding how to tackle both simultaneously but also the instances of when to prioritize the one over the other is my degree in your experience, do you think in most cases they come into conflict or do you think there's actually a lot of cases where they are quite harmonious with one another? I would say both, basically, because it really depends on the context. I think in the best example, for instance, if we take the Pacific Islands, right, where rising sea levels genuinely is a problem that people are having to face every day and we know it's going to get worse, that's when it's harmonious. But in certain contexts, like, say, for instance, South Africa, where you have a history of apartheid, climate change isn't the priority. And so then they're in conflict because you just need to sort out these socio-political structures before addressing climate change will ever take effect. Because otherwise you perpetuate you perpetuate marginalization because climate change actions will just go to those who are already privileged. Why did you pick this course in particular? So I did a couple of development modules when in my undergrad, but I went to an Extinction Rebellion protest in my final year, and I just started talking to loads of people, and I wanted to understand more about climate change. I think we see it so much in our day-to-day lives, in the news and things like that, and you sort of just get the, the top line, the surface of it, and I just wanted to understand a bit more of the background, so that's where those two came together for me, and that's why Sussex was perfect. One of the aims of this show is, is basically to connect what's happening uh, globally, what's happening locally. My question is basically, with climate change, why do you think there's been such a, a struggle to implement climate-friendly policies in local contexts? 
I think it's because people don't want to change their lifestyles. I think it's very important that we think about things like energy generation, everything like that as well. But we, the biggest changes sometimes can be our lifestyles. So it's things like our consumption, the way we travel, the way we, uh, you know, go on holiday and things like that. And I think people are not willing to change that. I don't think they have to sacrifice necessarily, but it is an adjustment that I think most people don't want to undergo. Since you've been on the course, has anything you've learned really surprised you, for better or worse, really? I think the thing that surprised me is actually that climate change shouldn't always be the starting point for everything we do, which I know is going to sound quite counterintuitive, but sometimes it needs to be the second or third priority just for it to actually be more effectively addressed is what surprised me. So I guess the best example of that is, say, school transport, right? It's great to say that kids need to go on bikes to school, but that's not necessarily, like the bikes exist, right? Kids know how to cycle. But what needs to happen first is urban design needs to change. And so climate change is still a priority in that, addressing it is still a priority in that sense. Actually, we need to think more about urban design. And so that's the number one priority. So it's just how we look at problems is what surprised me. I mean, maybe with that urban design approach, could you maybe sort of do that urban design with climate change in mind? A hundred percent, yeah. It's just, it's it's almost like ranking your priorities. Yeah. Um, So it's still there and it's still something being considered. It's just not your number one aim that you're addressing, if that makes sense. That makes makes total sense. What's something that you've come across in the news recently that's concerned you? In the news, that's a great question. I guess it's more opinion polls of how many people prioritize climate change. I think more and more here in the Netherlands as well, and also I think globally, it's. It, I think there's a bit more reluctance to follow through with things like windmills and not windmills, sorry, wind turbines. And I think that's just disappointing almost. And maybe something you've seen recently that's given you optimism. It could, could be in your course, but also maybe in the news as well. A bit of optimism. I literally just saw an Instagram post. I know it's not the most <laughs> scientifically <laughs> supported thing, but it's, it claimed, I still wanted to look it up, it claimed that our CO2 emissions are going in the right direction, okay. which was good. Is that global emissions or, or like global. UK? Or, like, global. Do you remember what the source was or not? I think it's like happy news or it's good news or something. Because basically what they do is, obviously there's so much disheartening news out there. I think this Instagram account tries to do, you know, also put some good things out there. Yeah, I think that's really important in terms of like, if they're not seeing any positive progress, then there's almost less motivation to do anything, even if you are really conscious about it, you know. Yeah. And how about on your course? Is there anything you've learned on the course that has made you think okay like that's that's something that where there's positive progress being made and I wasn't as aware of it as before I think for me it's energy access I think that's something that's really important with us trying to making our energy sources more green at the same time that we're onboarding loads of people and we uh, lot there's lots of case studies where energy access is improving and as a global population we're just struggling with that last one percent but it's great to hear that, you know, 99% of the world population do have some sort of energy access. And greening that is going to be a great step forward. And I think that's just a really exciting journey. 
Yeah, agreed. And what's your advice for someone trying to reduce their carbon footprint and be more climate conscious? I think my advice is do every bit that you can in terms of don't knock yourself down if you can't, for instance, cycle everywhere, but you can, you know, eat three meals vegetarian instead of five meat meals per week. Or, you know, you could go on a cycling holiday in terms of you go to the beachside instead of going to Spain. And it's not knocking yourself down when you do do those things, but it's sort of celebrating when you do do a good action. And because when you celebrate it, you're going to feel more inclined and more empowered to do more. And there's small changes that make big differences. And you mentioned um, Extension Rebellion at the start. Is there any other forms of activism other than sort of like, would you recommend people to get involved in in those forms of activism as well? Or is it a personal No, I really do. I think there is a bit of a misperception about what protest groups do. I think because people read the news headlines and unfortunately there's a select few who go too far and then that makes headlines. It sort of has tainted it. But for me, things like Extinction Rebellion and Just Stop Oil, they're communities. And so it's amazing to just stand amongst people and know that there are other people who care as much as you do and who have also you know, are really dedicating their lives to making a difference. And it's just creates, it's, it's a community that you have around you and it's reassuring. And I think that's the beauty of groups like Extinction Rebellion. I think that's, that's a great point. The individual actions, you just don't get that connection mm. with other people as much. But yeah, I think yeah. sort of being part of a group is, is really good for that. Yeah, I think especially because if you happen to be in a family situation or in a friend group that just don't necessarily agree with you, it can be really disheartening. But again, yeah. that's where that community sense comes from then. Yeah, absolutely. And my last question is, do you feel optimistic about the future regarding climate change? I do. I think we as humans have so much potential and we are so smart and I think we are applying our smarts right now and I really really do think we can do better and I'm hopeful I am are there any sort of specific cases you've you've noticed where you've thought well that really hit home I think maybe it's going to be sound really small scale but I'm all about celebrating the small things I think it's just people in my life making changes um so for instance you know my parents are both south african big like meat eaters but they both are trying to eat more vegetarian and it's also things like you know a lot of people in my life now both in england and here in the netherlands are getting bikes and things like that and i think those small pushes are going to push bigger projects like the ocean cleanup and things like that because it shows that we care chloe bester talking there to jago bailey about climate change You can hear the full programme on our Listen Again service at meridianfm.com. We'll post a link on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. Jago will be back with his next environment show this Wednesday at 2pm. On his mid-morning show on Tuesday, Paul Tolmy caught up with Catherine Pepper and Paul Zervas. The musical duo are bringing their show, This Flight Tonight, the songs of Joni Mitchell, to the Checkermede later this month. We want to try and deliver Joni Mitchell's music as it really most people would imagine it to um, have been performed live by Joni in the early 70s. So it's very much based around the acoustic guitar, all of the tunings that she used, uh, the dulcimer, the piano songs. And it's, it's, so it's going to be a very intimate um 
impression of the songs as they would have been performed at the time. Brilliant. So, uh, because everyone, I think everyone associates Joni Mitchell with just name of Joni Mitchell, a big yellow taxi. But there's so much more to her than that, isn't there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a, an absolute wealth of really incredible songs. So, from things like River, I think a lot of people would know that song. Uh, Both Sides Now, Cactus Tree, um, Carrie. There's just, you know, Blue Album was quite popular in the UK. But, you know, there's there's a good six or seven albums that I think most people will recognise quite a lot of the songs from. All right, yeah, I'm sure they will. Um, so, Paul, let's continue. How, how is this going to work then? So is it is it both of you, um, perf- is it just Kath singing and you on the instruments, or how is this going to work? Are you both are you both playing? Well, so Kath, Kath sounds uncannily like Joni Mitchell. Um, so I, I don't think I'm going to be singing any lead vocals for this one. Um, but, I, you know, it, for years and years and years, when we've been um, touring as original artists, which, you know, Zerbus and Pepper ultimately is, um, we've been performing the odd Joni Mitchell cover in our live shows. And when we've done that, we've always seemed to, uh, you know, keep it as sort of um, as pure and as and as um, faithful as possible to Joni's originals. So for this, for this tour, we thought, well, look, let's do a whole Joni set. Let's keep it as faithful as possible. And, uh, you know, we don't like to use the word tribute too much, but it is very much that kind of... Um, mm. Uh, the feeling that people are going to get from this yeah, show. Yeah, it's actually a five-piece band we're bringing with us. So we've got a pianist, um, acoustic guitars, dulcimers, um, bass, and congas. So it'll feel very much, kind of very seventies, very woodsy, very organic and earthy. Brilliant! It sounds it sounds amazing. So have you have either of you seen Joni live at all? <laughs> Sadly, no. no. Sadly, no. I bet you'd love to though. Um, along the way, we, a friend of ours said the other day he went to see her in uh, Wembley, and he was about 15 at the time. And I think it was Joni Mitchell, the band, and Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. That's right. Yeah. So we're very jealous of that gig. <laughs> I, I, I bet. Yeah. So uh, you guys are off on tour, um, and you're at the Chickamead on the 30th of June, and and then you're off all around. All I think it's only the second night of the tour, and then you're all off all around all around uh, the UK. Yeah, we're doing little short bursts, about four or five um, shows per month. Um, but yeah, we'll be right throughout the UK as, as many gigs as we can, really, just because we're really, really enjoying um, putting the show together and, and mm. it'll be so cool to perform it live. So yeah, it'll be our se- second performance at Checkermead. It will, starting in uh, Guildford the night before. So yeah, I, I, I'm just looking at the dates now and it's, it's interesting that you're just doing little gentle sort of burst. So I think you've got a couple in July, then a few in se- and then a break and then a couple in September. So it's not just a it's not a constant tour, so you've got time to sort of refresh. Yeah, because um Joni Mitchell's music is really vocally it's quite challenging mm. to deliver. And yeah. it's a big song. So we just want to see really how robust my voice is at kind of performing it live. But the rehearsals have been going great. So I think in time we may lengthen the stretch of, of shows that we do but for now we're just going to stick with the little short bursts you know so we can perform them just as best as we can for the audience yeah and do and do it justice as well because uh, yeah, they're, exactly. they're huge songs yes they are they are they're really big <laughs> all right well I'm, I'm it's going to be a fantastic evening and we'll we'll give you t- t- details in just a second um so you, uh, tell us more about you guys as a duo then because i i mean 
you know, obviously, Jamie Mitchell is a huge is a huge artist. But what about yourselves? Have you done anything sort of? Have you got anything else that you've been doing? So uh, we we we've been going over fifteen years um, as independent UK singer songwriters. We've done many tours of the UK. We've supported many sort of uh, more established artists. Um, people like Deacon Blue and Robert Freelance. Oh, my here. goodness. Um, and we put five albums out, two EPs, um, and it's that sort of uh, Joni Mitchell-esque music, really. I mean, we're, we're sort of like, I don't know, I think we've placed ourselves as, as kind of like the new torchbearers for that kind of style of music and that genre. We were, um, well, we were, we were long-distance kind of friends with, with David Crosby, who sadly passed away at the beginning of the year. And, you know, I, I think there was a nice um, relationship there in, in terms of he knew that we were kind of like flying the flag for that whole kind of Laurel Canyon sound, you know. So, um, yeah, we're going to keep making albums. We're not going away. Um, but what it does for us is just it lets us kind of um, reassess our own thing and go back to the very root of what it was that made us start songwriting in the first place. Definitely, as as I think, I think also it's it's it, as as Kath said, it's it, it is a it is a tribute, but it's 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 your interpretation of her and not not you performing as Joni Mitchell. Yeah, yeah. but we are purists. Yeah, so, of course. Know, I'm worried that you know they they're going to come along and it's not going to be quite as Joni would have done it. Mm. We're very very respectful to yeah. how we perform the songs. And and really, they are they are perfect in our in our minds. So we're not going to veer too far away from how she would have done it, um, just because personally we don't really like to hear reinterpretations of the music. We do like to hear, mm. you know, the song as it was intended by the artist. So it's it's not going to be me pretending to be Joni Mitchell, but I will be very um, sacrosanct in you know the Invoking performance. the spirit, yeah. so to speak. Catherine Pepper and Paul Zervas talking there to Paul Tolney. This flight tonight, the songs of Joni Mitchell, is at the Chequermead Theatre on Friday the 30th of June at 7.30pm. For tickets, visit chequermead.org.uk. That's chequermead.org.uk. And for more information and other tour dates, visit zervaspepperjonitribute.com. That's zervaspepperjonitribute.com. And that's it for the latest edition. We've got all the information on the features you've heard today on Twitter at SundayReview107 or on Facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. I'll be back on air next Sunday morning from 10am on 107 Meridian FM or on MeridianFM.com or you can download the latest podcast. Until then, take care and have a great week ahead.